for leading us in that time of singing. Boy, it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for coming. These are exciting days that we're now back together, and I, once again, looking forward to Sundays, and uh, it's just great to be together. Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're on the home stretch, folks. Well, at least in the seventh, seventh inning stretch. But we're into that, as you know, we, there, the book of Ecclesiastes can be divided into four parts, and we are now well into the, the fourth and final part or lesson in the book of Ecclesiastes. I trust and pray that you made some intentional efforts to apply last week's message this week in the last seven days. That you slowed down long enough to notice and enjoy some of those pleasant realities that God has put into your life for your enjoyment. Remember those imperatives in verses 7 and 9? You may have them circled in your Bible. Go, eat, drink, enjoy. As we come to this study of the book of Ecclesiastes, it's important that we do not lose sight of the fact that, that Solomon is in the twilight years of his life. So in fact, it's like you and I sitting down and having a conversation with our grandfather, or perhaps our great-grandfather. He's reflecting on a lifetime of experiences, and he's willing to share them with us. He knows all about surviving the grind. You know what I mean? That unrelenting routine and rhythm of life that just goes on and on, day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. This book is coming from the perspective of a lifetime of thrills and spills. And Solomon knows that there is a whole lot more to life than, well, going and eating and drinking and enjoying. Notice the book did not end at chapter 9, verse 9. And so let me read beginning at verse 10 to the end of the chapter, lead us in a short prayer, and then we're going to spend some time looking a little closer at these verses. If you can, please stand with me for the reading from God's Word. Beginning at verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, 
So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also, this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed a large siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouts of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, your word informs us. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Additionally, it is clear that you are a God who wants to be known. Thank you again for this inspired, inerrant, infallible, written, supernaturally preserved, and reliable disclosure of your person, of your plans and purposes, and of your perspectives on life under the sun and above the sun too. Enable us by the power of your indwelling spirit to understand your revelations. And not just to understand them, but to allow them to shape us so that the world is not able to squeeze us into its mold, but rather that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can realize your will for us, both individually and collectively. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. Use this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. To that end we pray. And then after hearing and understanding, give us the determination and perseverance to take that long walk of obedience by taking one obedient step after another as an expression of our love for Jesus in whose name we pray amen look again at verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter 10 Whatever your hand finds to do. Now, when we read that word, whatever, that needs to be like an atomic bomb exploding off the page into our minds. The possibilities have just become 
unlimited, whatever. It makes it a comp- just a comprehensive, all-encompassing statement. It's, it's whatever. And notice there is no mention of a specific task here. Or what kind of activity Solomon is referring to. Or our hands have found to do. Admittedly, when I first read this opening phrase of verse 10, my mind went immediately to my job. The thing that I'm paid to do. But upon further reflection, I realized that it could include so much more. And certainly it includes your vocation. But it also could include things you've volunteered to do. Or something that you're just doing for fun. And notice it doesn't matter where you're doing this activity. It could be at work, at home, at church, at school, or even on the golf course. It may include others, or it may be something that you have to complete all on your own. Maybe a quick and easy task, something that you can check off that perpetual to-do list almost immediately. Or it could be something that's going to require a long-term commitment. Maybe something that you enjoy doing. Or something that you would have preferred someone else to do. But for whatever the reason, it has been assigned to you. It's up to you to get it done. But don't miss the reach of that word, whatever. Makes this a big umbrella statement. It's an all-inclusive statement. Big enough to include anything and everything you could ever imagine doing in this lifetime. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. There's the title of this morning's message, doing it with all your might. And you may want to circle that word do, not the first do, but the do that leads in that second phrase. Do it with all your might. That do is an imperative. It's a command. And it is the only imperative in this entire passage of Scripture that we're focusing on this morning. So God's message through Solomon to you and I this morning is, well, let's just borrow the Nike slogan. Just do it! Exclamation mark included. But Solomon doesn't leave us hanging there. Notice he tells us how we are to do whatever our hand is found to do. With all your might. In other words, just do it to the very best of your ability. Or in other words, 
If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. According to the verse part of verse 10, you will need to prepare to give it all you have for as long as it takes. That's how we honor God in whatever he has prepared for us to do. You'll remember our, from our previous studies in the book of Ecclesiastes that, that God has a plan. It's a detailed plan that is permanent, perfect, purposeful, and predictable. And part of that plan includes things for you and I to do. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, or in advance, that we would walk in them. Walk in them. By doing whatever God has prepared in advance for us to do, with all of your might. But why? Why should we do whatever our hands find to do with all of our might? Well, look at the rest of verse 10. It's almost as if Solomon has anticipated that question. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. Other translations use in the place of, de- of the dead or in the grave. That Hebrew word translated sheol becomes Hades as we turn to the New Testament. Notice the end of verse 10, where you are going. Actually, it's where all of us are going. Look back at verse 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 from last week. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. In that context, he was talking whether a righteous man or an unrighteous man. One fate. And furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. That is a direct reference to the depravity of man. You and I are born with sinful natures in desperate need of a heart transplant. And I'm not talking about the physical heart, but that control center that operates within each one of us. It needs to be renewed which is an act that only God can do. And he can only do it as a result of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Afterwards, the verse continues, they go to the dead. That is the fate awaiting every single one of us. As nasty as death is, It is an inescapable reality of life. To live 
is to die. And Solomon is confronting us with that reality here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Sheol, Hades, the place of the dead, Hillview Cemetery over on Fifth Avenue, however you want to reference it. When you arrive there, it offers no activity, no planning, no knowledge, and no wisdom. And so, the implication of that, do whatever your hand finds to do with all your might, because your time and opportunities are limited. As I thought about this reason for doing what our hands find to do with all of our might, some possible reactions came to mind. Three, actually. The first would be denial. Now, admittedly, that denial is temporary. It's actually much easier to be in that, have that kind of reaction when we're younger. Because as the years roll by, we find ourselves attending more and more funerals. And eventually, that position of denial is eventually, well, it just has to be replaced by reality. But until then, we can all pretend that we're going to live forever. In fact, I would say that in our culture, it does everything it can to help us to facilitate that kind of delusion that we're going to live forever. The second reaction would be distraction. We get busy and absorbed with all the activities and potential achievements that this life has to offer. How does the Bible refer to them? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, the boastful pride of life in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Another place, Jesus was telling a parable and refers to them as the worries and riches and pleasures of this life. All distractions. They keep us from thinking about our inevitable end. Not necessarily, not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but left unchecked, they can become major preoccupations of our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams during this time, this brief time on earth. The third reaction is what Solomon is promoting here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's call it determined. I prefer resolute, but I needed another D word, so we'll go with determined. This is a roll up your sleeves and take full advantage of every opportunity, doing the very best that you can because the time is short approach to life. 
Now, which of these three reactions best describes your approach to life? Denial? Distracted? Or determined? Resolute? To do the very best that you can do with what your hand finds to do. Later in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon addresses the younger among us specifically. Flip over to Ecclesiastes, just a page or two. Flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and notice verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. In other words, don't let the excitement and energies of youth allow you to forget or dismiss your creator. To be satisfied with living under the sun apart from God. Not giving him any thought, nor the things of God. Just living for the best that this life has to offer. You know, in my years of ministry, I've sat often with people that have come to that point in life where there is no delight left. My own grandfather, I visited him in a senior's home, and he lamented the fact that all his friends were dead. He was 90-some years old. You see, that's what, he's talk- that's what Solomon's talking about here. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul reminds us that living a determined, resolute life is not automatic. It requires some intentionality. Therefore, be careful, he writes, how you walk, not as unwise men, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Keep in mind, these words were written to saints who were living in the city of Ephesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Psalm 90, verse 12, we discover the psalmist pleading with God for help. So teach us to number our days. It's actually a prayer request. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures teach us to number our days, make the most of our opportunities, make the most of our time, remember our creator, and do whatever our hands find to do with all our might. Why? Because your time and opportunities to do whatever your hands find to do with all your might, it's limited. Beloved, this is not optional. As a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, this ought to characterize your life. It ought to characterize all that you do, doing whatever your hands finds to do to the very best of your ability. Can you imagine 
And don't forget that as believers, we have that advantage of an indwelling spirit living within us, cheering us on and empowering us to live like this, to do all that we can do. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Notice this is pre-fall. Sin has not yet entered the picture when the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it with all his might and keep it. Beloved, we've been created to work. It is part of God's original design. Solomon, the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, also correct, collected and wrote many of the Proverbs found in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 12, verse 11, we read, A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25, Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Let's move to the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, sound familiar? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. In other words, wholeheartedly. Doing it to the best of your ability. Giving 110%. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's businesses. We, commend, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Folks, as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be one of the best workers on the planet. And by that, I don't mean, by the best, I mean faithful. We ought to be faithful. We ought to be honest as long as, as, as the day is long. And consistently doing whatever it is we're doing to the very best of our ability. Can you imagine having that kind of reputation? That's the reputation that God wants for his people. After all, it is a command. Do whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do with all your might. And it's how Jesus worked. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus answered them with these words. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. In his prayer recorded in John chapter 17, he prayed... I glorified you, meaning the Father, on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. 
And then hanging from a cross, suspended in air by nails driven through his hands and his feet, he declared, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Peter, in his first letter to believers who were being persecuted, suffering terribly, wrote that Christ left us an example for you to follow in his steps. And I don't think that's limited to the way Christ suffered. Follow his example of working with all his might to fulfill what the Father had given him to do. And I'm not suggesting that he did that in his own strength. And neither can we. Do whatever your hand finds to do with all your might because your time and opportunities are limited, because the scriptures demand it, and because Jesus modeled it. I know it's not our tradition here at the Rock Community Church, but can I hear a hearty amen? The word amen means let it be so. And let it be so in your life and in my life. And if it were that easy, we could close our Bibles, I could pronounce the benediction, well, we'd sing our last hymn, pronounce the benediction, and head for the exits. But it's not that easy. And you and I both know that. And so did Solomon. Doing whatever our hand finds to do with all our might is easier said than done. We all battle it. Lazy natures, negative feelings, bad attitudes, and insatiable appetites that always seem to be demanding more for more in return for less effort. And in addition, to the, in addition to these internal struggles, Solomon identifies a couple of vanities of life under the sun. Injustices, perhaps, but deterrence, nonetheless. They deter us from doing whatever our hand finds to do with all our might. These deterrents are identified as a result of a couple of observations that Solomon shares in these final verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The first is found in verse 11. You may want to underline this phrase. I again saw. The New Living Translation reads, I have observed something else under the sun. Observation number one. The second observation is found in verse 13. You can mark this phrase. I came to see. Two observations that enabled Solomon to identify a couple of deterrents that will attempt to sabotage your efforts to give your very best to do whatever your hand finds to do with all your might. Let's look first at verses 11 and 12. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Think of Aesop's fable of the hare 
and the tortoise. You know it. The hare was making fun of the tortoise for being so slow. Do you ever get anywhere, he asked with a mocking laugh. Yes, replied the tortoise. I get there sooner than you may think. I'll run you a race to prove it. And of course, they raced. And the tortoise, slow and steady, won the race while the hare was caught napping. And the moral of Aesop's fable, the race is not always to the swift. That's what Solomon's talking about. And the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is the bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. Here's the key phrase, for time and chance overtake them all. You see, life remains unpredictable. Skill and effort are not the deciding factors alone. There are no guarantees. You cannot bank on a cause and effect relationships. Sometimes the underdogs will win in spite of unbelievable odds. Look no further than the 2016 presidential elections. Let me ask you, is it four more years? I wouldn't bet against him. After all, I'm not a betting man anyway, but. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. In other words, life is often a tragedy waiting to happen. Sooner or later, and I'm not suggesting that we become like one of my friends in Oakville, who every time he refers to the future, knocks on wood. You ever been around someone? Anything in the future, knock on wood. Anything positive. I don't think we need to become like that. We need not fear the future. But sometimes we will find, through no fault of our own, ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes life hurts undeservedly. Deterrent number one, outcomes will always remain unpredictable. I'm sorry, there are no guarantees. Look at verses 13 to 18. Also, this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. Here is what something that Solomon witnessed he saw it that left an impression in his life. He wasn't able to forget it. There was a small city with few men in it. And a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed a large siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Notice the contrasts here. 
Do you notice that? A great king with a large siege work versus a small city and a poor man. The odds are clearly in favor of the king and this large army that's surrounding this small city. The odds are clearly in favor of the king. The New Living Translation puts it this way. A poor, wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. Yay! Good advice won the day. But the story doesn't stop there. Let's read on. Yet no one remembered that poor man. His good advice went unrewarded. He remained poor, unrewarded, and perhaps unappreciated. Certainly forgotten. How sad is that? So I said... And here's Solomon's conclusion. Wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The moral of Solomon's tale, Solomon's fable, although wisdom is better than strength, it is not always heeded, recognized, or even appreciated. Deterrent number two, good advice will always remain optional. Beloved, Let's decide right here today. We will not let these deterrents dissuade us. We will do whatever God has prepared in advance for us to do with all of our might. When our oldest son began looking at seminaries to attend, we flew to Dallas, Texas for a focus day at Dallas Theological Seminary. These are days where they invite prospective students to come and be exposed to the campus and and some of the personnel there in hopes that this will help them to discern if this is the place where, where God has planned for them in preparation for ministry. On the second day of Focus Day, there was a lunch where many of the staff would come and eat with these prospective students representing the various faculties at the school. Part of the lunch, after we were done eating, they asked the staff to introduce themselves and they said, we'll start with the the least number of years and go to the most years of service here at Dallas Theological Seminary. I was impressed from the beginning. I think it started around 25 years as they started standing up and introducing themselves. But most impressive was a man by the name of Howard Hendricks. He was the last to stand 
and he introduced himself with over 60 years of service teaching at Dallas Theological Seminary. That's impressive. In a book titled Iron Sharpens Iron, Dr. Hendricks, the product of a broken home, tells this story. I could have lived, died, and gone to hell without anyone bothering to care. However, a man named Walt. I love that. A man named Walt. From a tiny church in his neighborhood, cared about reaching nine and ten-year-old boys for Jesus. One Saturday while, he was playing, while we were playing marbles on the sidewalks of Philadelphia, Walt came by and asked young Howard, Howard Hendricks, if he wanted to go to Sunday school. The very thought of school made him decline. But Walt then asked if he would like to play marbles. Howard was the best marble player in his block and was sure he could beat Walt easily. Walt won every game. Every single game. And after that, Howard wanted to follow him everywhere. Over the next several years, Walt would take the boys hiking, even though he had a bad heart. His teaching and love for 13 13 boys nine of whom who had come from broken homes, made a difference in their lives. Eleven of those boys went on to pursue careers as vocational Christian workers, even though Walt had only gone through sixth grade. One of those men was Dr. Howard Hendricks, who gave 60 years training men and women at Dallas Theological Seminary. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And leave the results up to God. Leave it with Him. He has a plan that is being worked out in your life for His glory and your good. Trust him and be faithful. It can make a difference that can count for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your providential care for each one of us. You are intimately involved in each of our lives. May our confidence be in you alone, trusting that your sovereign plan is always being worked out for your glory and for our good. May we avoid relying entirely on our own geniuses, acquired skills, accomplishment, or personal strengths. Or be found looking around for others as our refuge and rescuers. The wisdom of the proverb instructs us so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight.
May that be our desire, our increasing reality, in our testimony to a watching world, so that you might be glorified in and through our lives, both individually and as the Rock Community Church. For we come and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.